Well, this morning I want to remind you that God's desire is to lift you up. That's what God does. He, he brings us up. He lifts us up out of the pit. He tells us to turn our eyes up towards heaven. God's desire is to bring us up. But I've entitled this morning's message, The Long Way Up, because sometimes that journey takes a whole lot longer than we would like for it to. And sometimes there are a lot of diversions and there's a lot of going sideways and going down and going all over the place in order for us to get up where God wants to bring us. See, when God wants to take us up, sometimes the journey isn't easy. It's kind of like uh, if, if you've ever had to climb up something and maybe you weren't very well prepared for it. And, you know, even if you are well prepared for it, it's not easy. I, I was reflecting just back, I don't know why, a, couple, a week or so ago, reflecting back on a, uh, an adventure that I had. I think it was about 12 years ago. Uh, somebody connected me with a group of pastors. It was called Pastors on Point. And we went to Colorado and spent five days backpacking in the mountains. And it was a time of kind of leadership development and, you know, fellowship and, and those kinds of things. And it was really a fruitful time. Uh, but I was, you know, 12 years ago. So I'm not yet 40. Uh, certainly no world-class athlete, but I thought I'm in pretty good shape. I'll be fine. So I did very little to prepare myself specifically for the backpacking. Now, you know, I would go to the gym and do my thing, and I thought, hey, I'm, I'm in decent shape. I'll, I'll be good. How hard can it be? <laughs> Big mistake. I remember when we started out, you know, at about 10,000 feet, just walking on flat areas, carrying a backpack, and I'm thinking, I think I'm about to die. And we haven't done anything yet. We haven't even gone up yet. We're just going, you know, on some flat land, and I'm trying to hide it because I'm one of the youngest ones in the group at the time, right? Um, and, and nobody else seems to be struggling, and so I'm trying to hold it together, thinking, you know, it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay, and, and, you know, I did adjust. It takes a little bit of time to kind of adjust to things. I did adjust a little bit, but then after a couple days, after they let us get a little bit acclimated, they, they decided it was the day to really make the journey up, and we were going to climb about 2,000 feet and go up to a lake. It was a beautiful lake. In fact, I went back just because I was curious and actually found the picture. We have the picture of the lake that, that we hiked up to, I believe, don't we? There we go, there it is. Oh, nope, wrong one, that's not it. Maybe, maybe we don't have that picture of the lake. Sorry about that. Um, but it, it was a beautiful setting, just trust me on that. It was a beautiful, beautiful setting uh, that, that we were able to go and enjoy. And it was not easy getting there. Not easy at all. In fact, when we started out and we were about to, to take this ascent up uh, to this lake, there was some equipment that needed to be carried. Most people didn't have to take their packs, but some needed to. And so I'm one of the younger guys. And they say, hey, would you carry the pack up for us as we go? And I thought, yeah, no problem. I can do that. And of course, you know, my manly pride. I'm not going to say no to that answer, especially when I'm one of the youngest ones there. So I put the pack on and we start going up this hill and, and part of it was the physical thing part of it was just you know some of the emotions and stuff that I was dealing with while I was there and, and all that was kind of coming together and I'm telling you I, I, I got to the point where I could hardly breathe and I'm struggling and they come and it's like do we need someone else to carry the pack and I just swallowed my pride and I said yes <laughs> I need somebody else to carry this because I was having a hard time going up and sometimes it's hard to make that journey up especially when we aren't very well prepared for it, but uh, it was worth it. Caught some great fish, had a wonderful dinner. You know, it was just a great experience. But I think back about that often 
about how difficult it can be to make that upward journey. Now, once you get there, you're like, this is amazing and it's worth every bit of it. Uh, but the path to get there isn't always direct. Today, I want us to open our Bibles to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 13 is our passage for today. And this is God leading the Israelites out of Egypt. And I want you to notice what he does as he's leading them out. Starting in verse 17, it says, When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that way was shorter. For God said if they faced war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph made the Israelites swear an, swear an oath. He said, God will surely come to your aid and then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. After leaving Succoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or by night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. So you, you get this picture, right? God is leading the people out. And I want you to take a look at the map. Uh, this is the journey that they took here. You can see kind of on, the, on the, the, the northwest side of that is Egypt. And it's as far as you can go up, kind of northeast is where they were going. So God was leading them up into the land of Canaan. But the route that they go on is all over the place. And he takes them down first. And then we'll get to it in a little bit. They just kind of walk around or, or kind of stay in an area for a period of time for many, many years. Uh, it takes a long time to get to the place where they're going. Now, if you don't have any context and you look at a route like that, you're going to think one of two things is happening. Either God's not really sure where he's leading them. Maybe he's a little bit confused. Or... God's up there just kind of chuckling to himself, saying, hey, watch this, you know, and he's like sending them all around the place with, with, with my sense of humor. I'm thinking, maybe, no, that's not really it. Neither of those is true. God was not confused. God wasn't just messing with his people. God had a very specific purpose and a very specific plan for why he chose that route. And verse 17 tells us exactly what it is. You know, sometimes in the Bible we're like, we have to kind of infer, look between, you know, try to figure it out and, and ask for guidance. We don't have to do any of that here. It tells us exactly why God led them on that route. In verse 17, it says it was because God said if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. You see, God knew his people. He knew what they were like. He knew that they weren't ready. Verse 18, I love this. Verse 18 says the Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. <laughs> or so they thought. They thought they were ready. They thought, man, we can handle it. Whatever it is, we're ready. They're fired up, right? They've got this great victory. They're coming out of Egypt. God's intervened. They've seen God do miraculous things. It's like, we can handle it. Whatever it is, bring it on. We're ready for battle. And God said, no, you're not. You're not ready. You're not ready to go through the land of the Philistines. See, if they had gone on this direct route and just kind of followed the coast along the Mediterranean and gone straight up into the promised land, it would have taken them through the land of the Philistines. These were, were vicious warriors. This is the group from which Goliath came. We'll, we'll be introduced to Goliath a little bit later. But you don't mess with the Philistines if you're not completely prepared and ready for battle. And God knew that. 
He knew that his people had a tendency, in fact, in the very next chapter, when you get to the Red Sea passage, the people are hemmed in, the Egyptians are coming after them, and what do they say? Why did we leave Egypt in the first place? If only we could go back to Egypt. God knew that, that his people would have a tendency to say, if they faced strong enough opposition, that their tendency would be to say, oh, we would rather just go back to what we knew. Even though we were in bondage before. Isn't it amazing how we can romanticize the past and forget about how horrible things were and, and just it's comfortable and so we want to go back there again. You know, this happens all the time with women who are abused by boyfriends, by husbands. They, they maybe get out of the situation because it's just unbearable. It's a terrible situation. They get away from it. And then what do they start doing? They start telling themselves, well, maybe it wasn't so bad. You know, maybe, well, well there's comfort there. Well, he provided for me there. Yeah, he, he may have beaten me. He may have treated me horribly, but, but that's what I know. It's amazing how you can romanticize the past and think it really wasn't that bad. Maybe we'd be better off just going back to that. And we do that all the time. Where God's saying, no, look, I, I, I want to lead you somewhere else, but I'm not going to lead you down a path where you face opposition and you just say, never mind, I'm going to turn around and go back. I'm going to go back to what's comfortable. I'm going to go back to the land of slavery. Here's the point, first main idea. Why does God not always lead us on a straight path. First reason is this, because God won't lead us where we aren't yet ready to go. He's not going to take you somewhere that you're not yet ready to go. Even if we think we're ready, God knows when we're ready. And there is a, a, a curing time in our lives, in our faith, that we just need to give it time in order for us to, to, to grow in our faith. And that was what this was all about. This was a time for the Israelites to grow and be prepared. Now, the time would come when they were in a battle. The time would come when they would be prepared for that. They just weren't ready yet. Kind of made me think about if you're, if you're ever building something, you're pouring concrete. You pour concrete down, you know, within, what, a couple hours or so, two or three hours, the concrete is dry. It looks like it's stable and ready to build on pretty quickly. But ask a builder and they'll tell you, you'll give it at least three days before you start doing anything. And it's really 28 days before it reaches maximum strength. That's the curing time for the concrete, right? Now, I'm thinking if you ask the concrete, as soon as it gets down, it would be like, hey, I'm ready. Let's go. Let's build. We can do this now. I can handle it. But it couldn't. Now, here's the not so good news. It takes us a lot longer than three days or 28 days for us to have our faith built and to be ready. I mean, there are times where it takes years for God to do what he needs to do in us and for us to get to a point where we are ready to face the opposition that we need to face. And, you know, given the, the option, a lot of us, depending on your personality, a lot of us would say, just give me the shortest route. Right? I, I don't know about you. Efficiency is one of my love languages, right? I, I, if I'm driving somewhere, don't tend to think about what's the most senior, what's the shortest path to get there, right? Something needs to get done, what's the most efficient way? Now, it needs to be done right, but what's the most efficient way that it can be done and be done right? That's a high value for me. And when I feel like time's being wasted or things aren't being done efficiently, it drives me kind of crazy. And so I'm thinking I would be that one to look at it and say, look, we're going from here to there. We don't need to come all the way down here and go around. Can't we just go from here, straight line over there? That would be so much quicker. Doesn't that make much more sense? You might be tempted to make the same decision 
that Stephen made at youth camp a few years ago. Uh, he and the kids were in Colorado, and, and they uh, decided to hike down. They were at a, a college there that was up in the mountains. They decided to hike down, and that's actually, you can go ahead and put that picture back up there. That was the picture we saw there. This is down at the bottom. Now, you can see Stephen kind of hanging out there, you know, at the bottom. He's, he's doing all right. They've hiked down. He said they're, you know, a little tired, but they, you know, took their shoes off, got in the water, cooled off a little bit, and so now it's time to go back up to make the journey back up to where they decided to go. And of course, you know how these things work, right? Zigzag, go all the way around, back down. Well, they looked at it, and because this college was, it had a uh, ski team, and they had a, their own little ski area, they had a, a place where it had little ropes. And when it was operating, you would grab onto the rope, and the rope would pull you up the mountain, so you could go straight up the mountain. And he looked at that, and he said, you know, it'd be a whole lot more direct if we just went straight up the mountain. He said, I think I could take the rope and just pull myself and walk straight up the mountain so we don't have to go through all this zigzag back and forth. And he, he talked Debbie Oberstee, one of the other uh, shepherds there with us, said they, they decided together, I think we can handle this. We're going to do this together. We'll let the kids do all this stuff. We're going straight up the mountain. So they did. They got straight up the mountain. And then they took another group picture at the top of the mountain. Let's take a look at that. You see over there on the side... Stephen's just kind of laid out. He told me, he said, I thought I was going to die. I didn't think I was going to make it. He is completely, absolutely worn out because he said, I've got to take the most direct route. Now, by the way, Debbie looks fine. I'm not real sure what to make of that, but Stephen is struggling a little bit. And he loves to tell that story. And I think about that kind of thing when I read this. That, that would have been me, right? That absolutely would have been me. It's straighter, it's faster, we're just going to go straight up the mountain. But I'm telling you, if you're not ready for it, it's not a good decision. And so many times we just think, God, I'm ready to go, I'm ready to do this. And God's like, nope, I've got another plan for you and I've got some things that I want to do before you're ready to face that kind of opposition. So God won't lead us to a place that we're not yet ready to go. Here's the second reason that they went sideways and went down for a little while. And that's, this is really important one. It's because God does some of his greatest work while we're going sideways. God does some of his greatest work while we're going sideways. You see, we sometimes forget that our, our journey is not all about just getting to a destination. It's about what God is doing on the way there. It's really about the journey more than it is about the destination. And, and during this time they saw God do some really remarkable things. Verse 21 says, by day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or by night. And you talk about an amazing um, reminder of God's presence. And by the way, this is not the last time that we would see the cloud or the fire representing God's presence, but it's the first time. So the first time God shows up in this way is when they are taking this journey, when they're going sideways and down for a little while. God says, let me remind you of my presence in your life. And so he shows, shows himself through this cloud during the day. Now, that would be a great reminder. Anytime you start to get discouraged, anytime you start to think, man, we're just doesn't seem like we're going the right direction. Are we lost? And you look up, you're like, nope, there's the presence of God right there guiding them through where they needed to go. What a great reminder that would have been 
during the day to be able to look up and to see this cloud leading them wherever they needed to go. But what about nighttime? Because you can't see the clouds as well at nighttime. And so God says, hey, I got that. Because here, here's the other problem. When you start to have doubts, it's amazing how when it gets darker outside, it tends to get darker inside as well, right? And a lot of times that's when most of the doubts start to come. And I'm thinking in the middle of the night, are the people then starting to worry and starting to have this stress rise up, thinking, I don't know where we're going. I don't know what's happening. Has God abandoned us? And you look up, and can you imagine looking up in the middle of the night, and there is literally a ball of fire in the sky right there saying, I'm still here. I'm still leading you. I haven't abandoned you. God showed himself in a remarkable way, and all of that takes place while they're in this process of not really making direct, any direct progress to their destination. Later on in the Bible, we see that this continues on. I mean, you see the cloud representing God's presence in a lot of different ways. Uh, the cloud comes over Mount Sinai when God uh, tells Moses to come up. The cloud even comes and, and, and hovers over the tent of meeting where Moses would go and meet with God in this tent of meeting. There's a cloud that, that forms over the tabernacle as they uh, build this place for um, God's presence to dwell and this cloud comes and envelops the tabernacle. I mean, it's just, you see this theme repeatedly. And the same thing about fire. The presence of God in fire. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes. How does he do it? It says he comes in tongues of fire. And so the cloud and fire, all these things would continue to, to represent the presence of God. God would show himself through them. And all of it starts during this time that they are wandering out of Egypt. The people needed to go sideways for a little while because God needed to do some work during that time. I suspect that some of you feel like you're going sideways right now. And it could very well be that that's God's plan. It's not an accident. It's not that you're lost. It's not that you've done something wrong. It may very well be that God is taking you sideways or even down for a period of time because he has something very specific that he's doing in your life. Now, I look at all the things that have happened over the last several months, and I, I can't help but to ask the question, what is God doing through all this? And actually, we're going to jump into that next week. I won't get too far ahead of myself. I'm going to start a new series, and, and we're going to jump into that next week where we talk about the different things that God may be doing through all this. But here's the point is God is doing something. God is working. It's not an accident when we find ourselves being diverted and, and, and going sideways. What felt like a wasted season in their life actually turned into a training ground upon which their faith could be built. They get to learn about a, a, a cloud by day and fire by night. They get to see God do some other miracles. They get to see God feed them by causing this bread called manna to just show up on the ground out in the desert. They get to see God feed them by bringing in quail from, I mean, they're in the middle of nowhere, and he brings all these, these birds in so they can have meat to eat. He, he, they, they see God bring water out of a rock for crying out loud. I mean, they, they see God doing these miraculous things. I mean, the very next chapter, you just read a few verses past where we stopped today, and we see the parting of the Red Sea, one of the greatest miracles that God ever did on behalf of his people. All of this stuff is happening as a result of God saying, I'm not going to take you on the most direct path where you want to go, but I'm going to take you down here and around there and down for a little while and sideways for a little while because I want to show you who I am. 
during that time that you're going sideways. And then we get into to verse uh, 19, and it starts to talk about Joseph and how they carry Joseph's bones. And I think, how appropriate is this? that Joseph would be brought into this story because Joseph is one of the greatest examples in all the Bible of God doing a work in someone's life when they were going down and sideways, but he was preparing him for something greater. And I know many of you know the story of Joseph, but if you don't or maybe just need a refresher, when Joseph was 17 years old, just a, a very young man, he had a dream about his brothers and even his father and everybody bowing down to him. And as a 17-year-old might do, he shared that dream with his family, which wasn't a very good idea on his part. And so he, they built up this animosity, and it's always you know that bratty little brother that gets everything that he wants. And they were about ready to be done with Joseph. And so Joseph goes out to check on them one day when they are out and, and, and to, to see how they're doing. They're out away from home with their flocks, and, and they say, ooh, this is our opportunity. Some wanted to kill him. And, and others talked about him and said, let's don't kill him. Let's just hear somebody coming on their way. There's a group going down to Egypt. Let's sell Joseph so they can take him down to Egypt as a slave. And then we'll go back and we'll tell our father, you know, they took his, his coat of many colors. They dipped it in blood and they went back and said, we found this. We don't know what happened. And so Joseph goes down to, to Egypt. God had given him this dream. I'm going to raise you up. People are going to bow down to you. But the next thing we know, he's going down to Egypt. He's being sold as a slave. He's sold to, to the home of a guy named Potiphar. It seems like a great situation because God is blessing what Joseph is doing. And Potiphar has a lot of confidence in Joseph. And so he basically puts him in charge of all of his household. So Joseph down to Egypt, down into slavery. Now he's starting to be lifted up a little bit. He's put in charge of the whole household. But then something happened. Or maybe I should say someone happened. And that was Potiphar's wife. Now the Bible specifically tells us in Genesis that Joseph was, and I quote, well-built and handsome. And that fact did not miss Potiphar's wife, who took notice of this young man and brazenly just came to him and says, come to bed with me. And Joseph's response was no. He said, I, how could I do such a thing? And I quote this as well. He says, in sin against God, which is a remarkable response because at this point, we don't know exactly how long he'd been in Potiphar's household, but he's still a teenager with teenage hormones coursing through his body, and he responds by saying, I'm not going to do something like that and sin against God. It wasn't just, it, it, it was sin against my master. You read that and you get that context, but the primary thing even was, I'm not going to sin against my God. Uh, but she didn't give up. So one day when nobody else is in the house, she comes and literally grabs him by his cloak and says, come to bed with me. And what does he do? He, he just turns around and runs and he leaves the, the cloak in her hand and he just runs out of the house. Well, at this point, she's completely humiliated. And so she decides the way she's going to get her revenge, the way she's going to save face, is she's going to tell her husband when he comes home that he came and made a sexual advance against me. And that's what happens. So what happens to Joseph? He goes from having been lifted up in this house to being thrown down into the prison. And while he's down in the prison, the same thing begins to happen. He shows himself to be faithful. And the jailer, uh, he, he, he wins his trust. And next thing you know, the jailer has lifted him up to the point where he is basically in charge of running the prison. Again, still very young man. But God's favor and God's blessing is on him. 
And so things are going well uh, in that respect at least. But some people come down in the prison. They have a dream, each of them. Joseph interprets the dream. He tells one of them, the baker, he says, look, your, your head's going to be lopped off. You're, you're done for. The other one, he says, God is going to restore you back to your position as the cupbearer to the king, to Pharaoh. And it happens exactly as he said it would. And Joseph says to the cupbearer, look, just do me one favor. Just don't forget about me. When you get back to Pharaoh, just remember that I'm here. Come get me out of here, would you? And what happens? The cupbearer goes back. He totally forgets about Joseph. Until, and we don't know how many years passed before all this happened, but we know it was a total of 13 years from the time that Joseph was first sold into the slavery to the time that, that he was actually brought before Pharaoh. 13 years of going down and sideways and, and, and all this stuff happening. But finally, Pharaoh has a dream and the cupbearer remembers, oh my goodness, I forgot. There's a guy who knows how to interpret dreams. And so they call for him. They have him brought out of jail. They brought before Pharaoh. He interprets a dream. Pharaoh says, you know, who else has wisdom like you? I'm going to make you second in command in over all of Egypt. It's a remarkable story of how God was preparing Joseph for being elevated to a very high position. But he didn't just take him straight there. He took him down. He took him around. He took him sideways. There was ups. There was downs. And this is generally how the journey works. It's a little bit up, a little bit down, a little bit sideways. That's how God does it. But it was during that time, I'm absolutely convinced of this, and I can't find a, you know, a verse in there that specifically says this, but I'm absolutely convinced that the reason for those 13 years was that God was developing in Joseph. He was preparing Joseph to learn what it means to listen to God's voice, to learn humility, to learn to rely on God, to learn all of these qualities that he was going to need when he was elevated to basically running the entire area. God was doing that work in Joseph's life. And I want to encourage you, if you find yourself in a place, maybe you feel like you're in that prison right now. Not literally, but you're just like, man, I just, you know, I, I thought I was going here, but it seems like I've just gone the other direction or I'm just going sideways. Let me just encourage you in this. God does his greatest work in our lives when we're going down and when we're going sideways. It could very well be that this is directly from God. You know, in this passage, it says that God led them the direction that they were going. This was no accident. He knew exactly what he was doing. Now, let's go back to the map one more time. I want you to look at something on this map. In the direction that they're wanting to go, you see a place, it says Wilderness of Zen and Kadesh Barnea, kind of toward the top center of it. That's where they went after about two years. When they got to Kadesh Barnea is when God said, I want you to send some spies into the land of Canaan. They're pretty close to getting there. I want you to send spies into the land of Canaan, and I want you to find out uh, a little bit of what's going on there. I want you to prepare. We don't know exactly why God told them to do it, but he told them to do it. So they send spies in the land. The spies come back and they give a report and they answer a question they were never asked to answer. Nobody asked them to answer the question, can we do this? God had already said, you're going to go do it. I just want you to get a feel for what to expect, right? But they come back and they say, we can't do this. The people there are giant. We're like grasshoppers in their eyes. There's no way that we can do this. And they're terrified. Did God know his people? 
Absolutely God knew his people. This is two years after watching God do miracles and after God building their faith and they still don't have enough faith to go and do what he tells them to do. And so that is after two years. So they spend another 38 years, a total of 40 years, one year for every day that the spies went, a total of 40 years from the time they leave Egypt to the time they get to the promised land. 38 more years of wandering. Now listen to me on this. The first two years were on God. The first two years were God's plan. I'm doing something. I'm preparing you. I'm doing a work in your heart. I'm developing you into who you need to be. The last 38 years were on them because they were not willing to follow God's direction. Here's the last main thought for today, and I won't elaborate on it much at all, but it's just this. Our willingness to follow God's lead impacts how long we travel sideways. You with me? Sometimes going sideways is God's plan and God's idea and God is doing it on purpose. Sometimes we go down or sideways because we're not willing to follow God's lead. Sometimes we bring extra on ourselves because of our own fear, because of our own uh, lack of, of trust in God's ability to provide. When God says, I want you to go into this area and I want you to do this and we say no, that's on us. So let's review. Remember that God won't lead us where we aren't ready to go. If you feel like you're just kind of on that path all over the place, it may very well be God's plan that you're just not ready yet. And so he's given a little bit more time. Secondly, remember that God does his greatest work while we're going sideways. Look for God to work. Ask the question. Here's a great question that, that we've been asking as a staff, and we continue to try to look at everything that's going on through this lens. Ask this question. What opportunity does this present? When you're faced with something difficult or something that isn't going the way you want, it's like, wait, I thought we were going up there, but now we're down here. Say, okay, now we're down here, but what opportunity does this present? And, and how might God be working in the midst of this? And then the third thing is just to, to make sure that there's not some area of disobedience in our lives that is causing things to get drawn out longer than they need to. More than anything, I just want to encourage you, trust in Jesus with all your heart today and know that he has a good plan for you, that he knows what he's doing. And when we follow his direction, um, we can trust that he's never going to leave us, that he's going to be there with us through it all, and that we're going to come out with a greater faith, a greater ability to understand what he's doing, and he is going to get us where we need to go. Let's pray. Lord, I do pray today that you would help us to trust in you with all of our hearts. Lord, give us the ability today to see you at work, and really, even if we don't see it and understand it, to believe and to know that you are at work, Lord, even when we're going sideways and down. Give us faith in those times, too. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.